Hello and welcome again to Punks on the Pitch podcast, the show where the beautiful game meets brutal, disgusting alternative music. Um, we've had a hell of a week again in football with some very poignant talking points, which we will get to. But as always, you're not going to be just hearing my dulcet tones. I'm joined by a wonderful guest. And this week I'm joined by gig promoter extraordinaire and Bournemouth fan, Dom Patience. Dom, thank you very much for for taking some time out of your day to have a little chat with me. How are you? I'm not too bad. Thank you very much for having me on. How's all going with you? Yeah, not too bad. Just sort of getting on with, with life. Weirdly enjoying football more than I thought I would during a pandemic, but we're we're cracking on but obviously one of the talking points we will be getting to in a moment is the return of fans um just because i pointed out before we started here recording you're wearing a lovely every time i die christmas jumper (laughs) and i am it's a a pride and joy for christmas time for me (laughs) but obviously like we like to talk about a bit about music so have you have you heard the new tracks I have, uh, but only, unfortunately, very briefly. I was in work uh, when was it, the day that they came out, and I was like, yeah, just have a quick listen, mm. but I haven't had a chance to properly uh, digest them with decent speakers as of yet. Yeah, well, on on that brief listen, what's, what's your view? What, how do you think of them? I'm loving it. Yeah. I mean, there hasn't been a Every Time I Die record I haven't enjoyed, regardless of whether they've deviated from a particular sound or carried on with one it's so yeah i'm i'm excited and uh the the et dialathon that they're doing apparently has another one coming out as well so i'm really intrigued to see well. like what they're doing with that like they've kind of teased a little bit because obviously like every year they do the tip the season sort of thing so i'm interested to yeah. see like if this is going to be kind of like a mashup of that idea with something different i don't know I mean, if there's one band that can pull something like this off, it's probably going to be every time I die. And I can just imagine it being almost like a, a mix between an incredible live show and Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I, can, I can see them doing the parody sketches and stuff in between, just like with um, Shit Happens DVD and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it didn't just come across like a behind the scenes of a touring band. It it kind of took on its its own like a show platform, as it were. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I, I can imagine them pulling something like that off. Yeah. And have you been listening to sort of anything else much recently? Um, the newest, I think, the new Palm Reader album had a heavy rotation when it first yeah. came out and it's still still in rotation but yeah the first day it came out it had a a few consecutive spins that's another band that have just come on leaps and bounds not just in the uk scene but in general yeah uh, it's an incredible piece of work i think from them see i got in a little bit of trouble like i've i've got to be totally honest i'm not the biggest palm reader fan and i thought like i'd approach this record with Fresh ears because I'd heard like a lot of kind of work had gone into it and it was a lot of sort of they were kind of taking a different approach to how they were recording it and stuff like that and I I know Lewis the guy that obviously produced it and 
I gave it a listen and I don't know, it just it's my own personal preference, but there's just something with it just maybe I need to revisit it again and kind of give it another go. I mean, this is the thing though, music is subjective, it's personal. It, every album or every band that releases a song isn't gonna hit and connect. Yeah, exactly. So I mean the fact that people, in my opinion, enjoy baby metal. I mean, I can see it live <laughs> yeah. and it is fun, but I, I can't sit at home and listen to them. Yeah. No, but there fair. are millions of other people that can. And so it's like, fair enough, each to their own to, to that extent. Yeah. And just on the... I don't think you should... Sorry. Sorry, I was just saying, I don't think you should force yourself to like something just because other people do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair <laughs> And just kind of on like live shows and stuff, obviously I mentioned at the top, obviously you book shows, you book shows in Bournemouth and Southampton and... Did you do some in Portsmouth before as well? Or have I made that up? I'm not stretched as far as Portsmouth no. as of yet. But yeah, but like Bournemouth and Southampton. In terms of kind of looking ahead, I think off the top of my head, I remember you announcing one, but have you kind of started getting the momentum going for booking shows next year maybe? Or are you still kind of holding fire a little bit? Um, The booking side of it is still happening. Like, a lot of tours and a lot of shows are being discussed and offered on and then literally just sat on. Yeah. So I've got a bunch confirmed, but there's no schedule as of yet to have them announced. Okay. Um, but there are more that are starting to come in and are hitting the announcement schedules now. Like, for example, today announced the um, Faces of Death tour with Arch Spire and Rivers of Nihil and um, a few others and being set on that show for a couple of months already yeah. as well. So, but it is getting to a point now where thankfully with news of vaccines and rates dropping in certain places that bands, agents, management, etc., are all feeling a bit more comfortable mm. to announce their shows, especially ones that are at the tail end of 21. Yeah, because... Just from like a booking perspective, like how have you been finding it? Because a, a bands like from when I used to book shows, bands used to come to me and be like, "These are the dates we're going on tour. Can you work around this?" But obviously, at the moment, it's really weird. So, are they giving you like a wider window of like this is potentially what we're looking at? Not a wider window as such. It's more of an ever-changing window. Right, okay. So the first, with some of them, the first conversation may have been, oh, we're looking at, I don't know, March 21. And then by the time August rolls around, or August rolled around this year, it's like, yeah, March is not going to be the case anymore. We're now going to be looking at September or October. So they haven't increased their touring windows per se every time I get, an offer email it's still a case of oh yeah we're going to be in europe for three weeks this is the three-week window but it is a lot more regular now having a follow-up email go yeah we're changing it's now going to be this month (laughs) instead of that month fair enough so and and having shows confirmed and then getting it changed before it's even been announced and stuff yeah and obviously the other thing that I mentioned at the top and the reason I've asked you on the show, you are a Bournemouth fan and have been for, for many, many years. But obviously like I like to find out what the kind of connection you find between sort of football and like the punk world and things. So 
what's your what do you kind of find like the crossover is for for you personally like a lot of people i've said found like said like about the community aspect of of being part of a football sort of crowd and things like that so what's your personal crossover um i mean it's a weird one for me when i was younger and as i was growing up i always felt it was a case of you have the people that liked football and the people that liked music. And that was the way that I kind of saw it because that was the choice that I had. Like no one, no one in my family followed football. So I was never introduced to it or anything like that at an early age. So I was literally looking at how my friends were and some were football fans and some were music fans. But then as I've gotten older, you, I have seen, the crossover more now whether that's just been a more recent thing or it's always been there and i've just never noticed it i'm i, I don't know but i do i do feel there is the same passion that goes into football as there is music for people yeah and you you can be that person that likes both or looks at both equally and you don't have to have one on a higher pedestal than the other and I think it's just one of those games that can evoke the kind of emotion um, that music can yeah. for people as well. And it, it, it just brings out crushing highs, <laughs> but amazing, uh, well, crushing lows and amazing highs. And it's exactly the same with music. So I can, they can both walk hand in hand as long as you're open, open to getting absorbed by it. Yeah. Well. So in the, in that case, obviously, like you say, not having family, kind of, because a lot of people, their sort of like quote unquote team comes from like family ties or, or stuff like that. So like, how did you yeah. end up sort of getting into Bournemouth and going to games and things like that? Um, for me, initially, it wasn't Bournemouth. Um, when I was in uh, a lot younger, so this is going back to like year. Oh. Year five or six, or maybe a bit younger. Um, I followed my best friend at school right. with the team that he supported, and his team was very much introduced by family. Um, and that he supported Aston Villa, right. and then as I got slightly older. I kind of didn't see why I should be supporting Aston Villa. It didn't make sense to me. So I then just started watching football generally. And then when I was about 15, it started to click with me more that you should be looking towards your home. Like you don't, you don't go off and support United if you're not ever going to go there or if you don't really know much about it, you're just literally picking it because they've won a bunch yeah. of cups. So at that point I was like, well, Bournemouth have got for the league it was in a decent team why don't I look more into Bournemouth so it was kind of that that was the route that I ended up taking yeah in. so it hasn't been that long I mean the first game I went to was probably only about 20 years ago yeah so considering a lot of fans go when they're like eight or nine or what have you I was quite late to the party and that was yeah but as I say with no family that was into football and taking me at a young age, it wasn't really anything that I grew up with. Yeah. And I think like 
Bournemouth particularly are a very kind of interesting club in terms of sort of like where they've kind of like rise up through the ranks and stuff, like obviously established themselves as a Premier League team over the last couple of years and have obviously dropped down to the championship now. But for you kind of like witnessing that sort of rise and not really a fall, but like a blip nowadays, I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> like how was that kind of experience to sort of like, because so like I'm a Portsmouth fan, but like we've always kind of been around like in my lifetime, we've always been around like the first division, Premier League, up until recently when we've kind of dropped down sort of thing. We'd always been in those top two leagues. Yeah. So what was it like to see the rise of the club and kind of the momentum shift? It's been mad. I mean, it's one of those things where when Bournemouth did first hit the Premier League and it was around the time that Leicester won the Premier League, it was almost a competition with to which was the biggest fairy tale. Yeah. Leicester winning the Premier League or Bournemouth actually reaching it. Um, but to have known that the club, like literally three three or four years prior to that, were on the brink of administration and on minus 17 at the bottom of the league before it even started is just... It is an incredible story. Mm. Um, and also to the, the fact that within our first season in the Premier League to think that some of the players have been there since League One. Yeah. So, yeah, you can look at players like Jamie Vardy, who you go, oh, he's gone from Fleetwood to the Premier League and his story as an individual has been amazing. But to have a team comprised of players mostly from League One, League Two, to an extent, and Championship, not bring anyone really new in whatsoever have massive injuries within the first season and still survive it it's just insane to to think about it if you if someone had wrote that down on paper they go oh yeah that could be a good script but it'll never happen <laughs> yeah. and it's like well <laughs> and so yeah to to witness it and see how it's changed the area is amazing mm. like you used to be able to walk around Bournemouth and you would rarely see a Bournemouth shirt let alone any other piece of clothing with the the badge on yeah and now you walk around and you see it nearly every yeah like I will go most days if I'm out in Bournemouth obviously not during lockdown but during a weekend pre-covid you would see it a lot more frequently than it ever has been in the last decade. yeah and obviously, like, at the moment, sort of in the championship, but the thing that I've kind of found, like you mentioned there with Bournemouth, is they almost kind of have, like, this loyalty, not to, like, the the town and, and sort of the fans and things, but within, like, the structure itself. Obviously, like, with Eddie Howe being such a long-stay manager up until recently, but obviously his replacement in J. Jason Tindall is a person that has been at the club for years. Obviously, he was under Eddie yeah. Howe. They could have easily have gone, oh, we're going to get an outside manager with a reputable, reputable record. But they've kind of stuck to their guns and obviously is paying dividends at the moment with them being top of the championship. So, I don't know. Like, Have you found that that's kind of part of the club, club mentality is that they've still kind of got that, like ethos of what they had all those years ago, but they're just kind of tweaking it to a modern style. Yeah, I mean, it is a case that when 
they first went up, everyone expected them to go highly defensive and basically park the bus every single mm. time just to try and fight out a draw or maybe scrape a 1-0 win in order to stay up. But it's always been a case of Bournemouth play how they play and they're not going to change that just because other people feel that they should or other people go, well, that's what teams do when they first come up. Um, so, yeah, they, they've done... The club have done everything essentially their way and without taking too much notice of what other people have suggested. And I think... In retrospect, when Jason Tindall was appointed, I was very much, I'm going to sit on the fence and see how this goes before I make any snap judgments. But as you say, it is paying dividends. And I do think when looking at it, that keeping someone who is so close to the club and knows the club inside out is very much needed with a club like Bournemouth. Hmm. If you get in some of these bigger managers who who do have aspirations to get straight back to the Premier League and straight up the Premier League table and they only care about the results over the club to an extent, it can really disrupt the flow that the club actually has. And if they start dropping players to, because they brought in someone new, you could actually then start working against the club. And it, it'll be a case of why drop the players that will fight tooth and nail for this club for someone that you're just paying to play football yeah. as it were and and that's the thing with with so many players that have come up through the ranks as it were they will literally fight tooth and nail yeah. they're not just there because they're getting a paycheck and obviously like as I mentioned Eddie Howe was such a, a, a mainstay of, of the club not just as a manager but obviously as a player as well but like so when he decided to kind of step aside and sort of kind of almost hand over the reins to, to Jason. What was your kind of viewpoint on that? Because I, like, from my opinion, like, I th- I kind of saw that the writing was on the wall a little bit, but I thought also part of, like, pride in him, he might have kind of stayed out for one more season. So, I don't know, did you kind of expect this to happen? Um, Kind of, but kind of not. Like, I... I thought as well that he would give it another season. I thought he would ride the championship, get us back to the Premier League, and then maybe let someone else take on from there. In retrospect, again, having someone take over in the championship is probably better than having someone brand new take over on your first year back in the Mm. Prem. But um, whether it's a case that we did need a slight change to our style or like change to how we approach certain things. It's hard to say. I mean, I'm no football manager. I'm not <laughs> yeah. trained in any way, shape or form. I'm literally the worst case of a sofa manager there can be. But it did sometimes feel that there were elements to our game that could have been changed. And I'm not saying that we needed to get more defensive, but there were points where I feel that we even need to be more attacking than we were. And we have always been a fairly attacking side. So to say there were games where we may have been winning and then Eddie took a defensive substitution, I'd be like, why are we doing yeah. that? Why aren't we just going for it? Go for the jugular. Like, if you don't take the risks, you're not going to reap the benefits. 
Um, so maybe it, it was a case that he he felt that it needed a bit of a a fresh injection, as mm. it were, possibly. But I mean, I know he's talked about the subject, but what he says to the press and what actually was going on through his mind could be two completely different yeah. things. Yeah. So. Take it all with a pinch of salt. And another thing we always like to do on this show is obviously kind of like bring the sort of punk ethos within the club. And obviously, I asked you beforehand to sort of think of a player that you think embodies sort of the punk ethos, either past or present, for Bournemouth. So, is there anyone in particular that, that springs to mind? I mean, as a player, I'm not sure whether he did it so much as a player, but I am actually going to go with Eddie yeah. on this one. And I think a lot of that probably spills out more when he was the manager rather than the player. And that's for everything that we've just been saying. He literally did things his way. It, he, he went against the grain. He, he created an ethos that people bought into at the club and a, a style of play that people wanted to see in the club. And regardless of naysayers or um, anyone talking down on him saying well you should do that you're too young to be doing this you need to do it this way because you know you're new to the Premier League blah 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 and he was just like nah this is how we're playing this is how we're going to play and this is going to work for yeah. us so yeah I, 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 when you first asked me that I was thinking for a while and I was kind of like well Eddie did just basically create his own rule book <laughs> yeah. to an extent for such a small club to get to the Premier League and then him still be defiant and be like Nah, you can't dictate to me how we're going to play our football. This is how we play, and this is what we're going to yeah. do. And he, he did reap some amazing rewards from it. I mean, granted, we did end up getting relegated, but we spent five years in the Premier League. We beat every team in the top six bar City. Um, and some of those wins were the most memorable football I've, I've seen for a while, like beating Liverpool after being 3-1 down. Yeah. And, um, beating Chelsea 4-0 it's just like you don't expect to see that kind of thing no and like it's a similar thing like obviously like as a Pompey fan you always want to I always want to see them back in those high spots of the Premier League but that was something like when I was growing up I never thought I'd ever see in my lifetime sort of thing and like yeah. to, obviously the years when we were there there was still kind of like your Shearers, your Michael Owens, your Cristiano Ronaldo's in the Premier League. And they were players I never thought I'd see at Fratton Park. But let alone Pompey beat those players at Fratton Park. And it's sort of that kind of, it's rather of like love than lost kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, like Bournemouth had Real Madrid come over for a um, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. testimonial style. And they completely tore us apart. It was like oh yeah we're never we're <laughs> never gonna get to this kind of level of game and like I remember at the time I was thinking this is the only way that you're gonna see players of like Ronaldo Ronaldo's caliber playing in ball yeah and then fast forward a few years it's like oh no complete lie <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne is coming down <laughs> yeah. next week and like yeah, it's it's mental and sitting there and even if we do or not if, but when we do lose to certain teams, there's still that appreciation. You're watching a player like Salah mm. like just rip you apart and it's like, Yeah, okay, we got destroyed, but come on, it's not like we're playing 
Preston North End. <laughs> not that I can really say that because we lost today as well recently. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's not that kind of thing. It's not like you're. It's not Carlisle on a Sunday kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like you can't really begrudge it when you have some of the best players in the world. Yeah. Like playing against you. Well, obviously, we'll stick with the the championship because I think we'd be remiss not to talk about probably the biggest talking point in football at the moment. And this is the whole debacle around Millwall supporters, obviously booing players yeah. taking the knee at the weekend and then subsequently their game against QPR last night uh, where players kind of linked arms with this uh, equality banner and, and things like this. And I think it's just it just reignites this conversation of, of racism within football. And obviously last night we saw as well the whole Paris Saint-Germain game being abandoned after 14 minutes because, um, is it, uh, Ibrahim Weibo accused the officials of, of being racially abusive towards him. And, yeah, I just, I mean, like, we've had this conversation on this show before, like, around racism, but this was just, I don't know, this, to me, just felt ridiculous that the first thing fans do when they're back into a stadium is boo such a, like a prominent gesture. I don't know. Like, what was your kind of take on it? I can, it's one of those things where you couldn't believe it, but at the same time you're like, yeah, I can totally believe that they were the ones that yeah, did it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is really sad to think that that kind of stuff does happen. And I know the, I know clubs and stuff try and protect their reputations and like Millwall's statement that came out afterwards saying, oh, they didn't do it because they're racist. It's like, what, did you run a poll when they were leaving? <laughs> did you did you ask every single so one, please, were you please doing this you're, you're actually anti-Marxist? <laughs> yeah. And they're going, well, actually, if you ask them and you see their tweets, it's because they believe that the BLM movement is a far left extremist group. And it's like, really? I mean, okay, some people might associate BLM with looting and rioters and things like that that did happen over the summer but I can't really imagine there's a lot of people that go oh yeah they're an extremist group yeah because they're really not BLM has been around for years it's only this year that it's really taken a front row seat because of all the things that have happened so to know full well that taking a knee is a gesture of anti-racism to then go, well, actually, I don't agree with BLM. I'm anti-Marxist. I'm all this. I'm going to boo it. It's like, no. Yeah. You're just being a bit racist <laughs> and you just want to hide it with something else, don't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I know Millwall wasn't the only club as well, um, but they are, I think because of the reputation that they have, they are the one that then got the focus. Yes, definitely. And um, like, so I, like when this all started coming out, I wanted to kind of reach out and sort of speak to some, some Millwall fans. And I got very limited kind of response, but one person did, he said like, please don't use my name. Cause he didn't want sort of any backlash, but uh, he was kind enough to sort of like write me a little statement of what he said. So I'm just going to read a bit of it. And he's basically said, like, obviously this was the day after it happened. So he's like, yesterday was an embarrassment. Yeah, um, 
there are clubs and noble people in football who are against taking the knee. They feel, um, as you as you mentioned, that it's kind of become this sort of uh, political thing and it's kind of losing its effect. Um, but it's a symbol of one of unity and toler- um, tolerance that should be embraced by everyone and so on and so forth. But he said, Millwall itself, we are not a, a hateful club as a whole, but once again, it is a few that have let us down. Um, the throwback... These uh, these people, they're the throwbacks who refuse to let go of of our sordid past and and for something that's for some unfathomable can't say that word um, reason other than the fact that they seem to make it seem like they're hard and edgy. So they're just kind of like saying like it, it's unfortunately like it is Millwall that the ones that are kind of being sort of pinpointed on this. Like I know. West Ham fans were were ones that booed yeah. as well, but I think like what's prevalent is like, obviously Millwall kind of like as a club like which rightfully show so they've almost kind of made a bit like of a virtue signaling of this and kind of made a bit of a a point to be like no 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 we're not racists and of kind like in my opinion kind of gone a bit too far the other way and sort of. It's a bit embarrassing yeah. of, of what they're trying to do in retrospect now. I mean, it's one of those things, like their statement even says that they've built up a reputation of being able to intimidate the away fans and be an intimidating club. So, I mean, if you're going to build yourself that reputation, don't be surprised if a shit stick then hits you because something like this has happened. Don't moan going, well, we weren't the only ones. It's like, fair enough, you weren't. But you've built this reputation that you are this edgy scary point <laughs> of a better word club where you are going to intimidate people so why no one's surprised that you've then done this so don't be surprised that people are going to start pointing at you and going you're being racist now yeah i mean you you, you want to build these reputations you've got to live with some of the consequences and i'm not saying that I mean, racism, sadly, is still everywhere. And I'm pretty sure every single club within the UK and all other countries do have racist fans. And some of them will be very vocal and some of them won't be vocal whatsoever, but they're still going to be there. It's just that it seems to be with clubs like this, some of their fans are quite happy and comfortable to be vocal about Mm. it. And I think it's quite interesting that, like, well, the poignant point was obviously after the game, well, during the game, sorry, yesterday, when QPR scored, their players went sort of where, where the Millwall fans were and took the knee, which I thought was was really yeah. good as a celebration. Um, yeah, I think it was kind of quite poetic as well that uh, they lost 1-0 to Derby on that game yeah. as well. <laughs> but on the sort of, like, sadder note is that it's kind of, like people like people who are openly racist are kind of latching onto it and i'm not sure if you saw this but of all groups ukip were kind of like we stand in solidarity yeah. with millwall fans yeah. boo like i did see that and like it's just like oh fuck off blm becoming boo like yeah it's like oh please just fuck off please just yeah, and yeah, as as mentioned, obviously the incident that happened in the PSG Istanbul game last night, 
obviously we don't know what the repercussions of that are and i like i've heard the audio and so the the referee is romanian the the guy who's in question and the only way for have said like a, a full investigation is going to be taking place and i'm obviously not gonna reiterate what he says but because obviously he's in foreign yeah. but like there is a clear sign of like what sounds like a racial slur within that and it's if that's an official at the highest level of, of club football it's yeah that's it just shows it's not like fans is still deeply embedded yeah. which is which is sad i mean it's the thing when it comes to official and i know loads of people have been saying similar so one of the big arguments that i've seen is the fact that you don't even need to refer to the player by their skin color or anything because as an official you have their shirt number you have their name you have all of this if you know which player you're trying to refer to you just need to say yeah just say like number four (laughs) yeah yeah and it's just like you can't i find it very hard to backpedal if you view someone's skin color as a, a, a in a slur or as a descriptive point in a place and at a time where you have no requirement to do so, you can't backpedal. No, there, there's there's nothing you can do. You've done it, and you've done it almost perfect. Yeah, and I don't, did you? Because I, I just because it's just come back to my mind now, and I watched it on the weekend. Did you watch the little docu uh, documentary that Anton Ferdinand did recently around like the whole him and John Terry thing? No, I haven't. I've seen a lot about it, but I haven't actually sat yeah, down to watch it. Yeah, it's really kind of interesting because, like, obviously he's someone that that was obviously heavily involved in a racist incident that was obviously blew up in regards of who was the, the person involved in it with John Terry. But he was kind of, like, saying at the time, obviously, like, with Pierre Weibo, it's a, it's a different kind of thing because he's there's that image of him like you can see him very clearly getting angry at what's been said to him but mm. with with the Anton Ferdinand incident he said he was so in the game that like it didn't even like register at first until he saw the yeah. footage afterwards and it's, it is almost that kind of like thing that like within football you're in this bubble but because of social media and everything it does get kind of escalated a little bit and I think like for good and for bad that like it's been pinpointed out but yeah I think like that's a really like Anton Ferdinand's perspective of it and how it's affected him going forward is a really interesting thing and I think more we've spoken about like support for players on this show as well like more needs to be done in in those aspects of like people that have been racially abused how can they get support because that's gonna have a fucked up effect on your on your mind and stuff yeah especially if you feel it gets brushed over like because that's the thing just because something was initially missed doesn't mean it shouldn't be revisited and go well actually hang on a minute this did happen. yeah um and if clubs are just like yeah it happened but no one really it didn't matter like it didn't <laughs> yeah. no one it's fine and if you get that kind of reaction from your club or from people above you and how are you meant to like mentally process that going oh so either i'm really overacting against me being racially abused or they don't care yeah 
and that's the thing when you're then in that situation it's like well don't they care about me there's got to be I mean I'm obviously fortunate to never have gone any, through anything like that but that's got to have some knock-on effect for some mm. people and as you say not to have anything there for a player to to be reassured that people do actually care and that things are going to get done and then not everyone's going to be dismissive, I think is important. Yeah, well, as we're kind of talking about the sort of negative side of the game, so there's another little tidbit that I sent to you that I wanted to, to flag up. And this is just absurdity, I think. This is over in China, like, okay, yeah, it's university football, but this is still something that's fucking ridiculous. And yeah. I mean, like, within the women's game especially as well, but this was a game between two uh, China universities and basically the game had to be called off because a player didn't dye their hair black essentially and it's from what i could find there's like this body that oversees like youth football university football in china and there's these like completely backwards rules that basically say like the players aren't allowed to sort of like curl their hair if you're a boy, you can't have it like hair length below like your ears and things like this. You can't have like unique hairstyles. You have to be like uniform. And there was a player on this team that refu- basically like didn't dye her hair black because she didn't want to, because I don't know what color it was, but she obviously liked the color of her hair. So the officials called the game off. <laughs> She's just fucking backwards. Yeah. I mean, when I read that, the thing that really stood out for me was like the fact that they have hair dye ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like before the game, they're like, right, who needs to dye their hair before we kick off? Anyone? Oh, you're not, your hair's not black enough yet. You're going to have to go through it again. It's like, what? Yeah. It's, it makes no sense. And then the other things, like, as you say, uh, they can't have any like wayward haircuts and no tattoos and no this. And I may have read through it and got the wrong end of the stick, but from the, the read of it, it seemed that it's not just football, but that spreads across a lot of the athletic and sporting world within China to potentially a certain level. Mm. And it's just like, that's crazy. Especially when you look at Chinese history and there were points where men having short hair was frowned upon. Yeah. To now... And then when that, obviously this is quite a long time ago, and then that history changed when things started to westernise. It's like, well, surely your history used to be boys can have long hair and it was actually a sign of respect and all of that. Why why is it frowned upon now? And yeah, it's just, it's mad. It, I, I didn't even think a country would have rules like that. No, and especially like in this kind of, day and age and, and things like that and it's yeah I don't know it's just very strange like so I'm just looking now it says apparently this has kind of been so since 2018 they like this I'm trying to find the name of the authority now but I can't seem to find it but they've like even made like the rules like more stringent especially around like tattoos and ear piercings so like if you're i think it's like male or female athlete that has like any visible tattoos like you're basically not allowed on the pitch and it's it's i, I just I, 
stuff like that I just find so hard to wrap my head around where someone's like, yep, yeah, this is completely normal. Yeah. Like, this is a rule that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they're not tattooed, it means they're disciplined and they will listen to us. It's like, what? No, that's... Uh, but, uh, it's, yeah. but apparently there's like another quote, that I'm just looking here now, that apparently there's... The higher up you get within like the football league within China, in the male game tattoos have kind of been like allowed now but still if you're a woman that's like frowned upon and like it's going back to like the dyed hair thing again like you're you have to have black hair like you're not allowed any sort of wavering away from that it's just i mean it's just so backwards in 2020 it's just yeah it is it's it kind of reminds me of rules that you read from old England and they go like the old laws like going, Oh, you can shoot a Welshman <laughs> with a crossbow on a <laughs> yeah. Thursday in Nottingham city center and get away with it. It kind of reminds me of that kind of thing where you look at these old laws and you go, that is utterly ridiculous. But now we look at them going, that is utterly ridiculous, but it's current. This is yeah. happening still. This is how. Yeah. But but then, so go on. It just makes me think how things are going to change in the next 15, 20 years. Like, uh, if China stays the same communist sort of state it is, or whether it's going to become a bit more, I don't want to use the term westernized, but whether it will become a bit more lenient. Yeah. It, how a country like that it makes me think that if they did have certain leniencies on certain things and individual expression was pushed, how much further could certain things go? Like, for we know this kind of ruling that they have and everyone has to follow, it could be stifling so many people's passions and it just makes you think, like, what? what could people end up doing if they had that room? Yeah, no, that's very true. And, like, I think, as you say, not necessarily, like, a westernised sort of thing, but just kind of almost becoming more liberal. Because, obviously, there are people within, sort of, China that obviously have, like, a liberal mindset and hmm. want to kind of express themselves creatively, like, at the very minimum sort of thing. And it's so it's, yeah. it's, yeah, you kind of think if you're under this kind of, like, government or like in this case a sporting authority that are squashing that down it's gonna dissuade people and you're you're gonna maybe miss out on a whole generation of people that could make the sport amazing for for your country but you're you're pushing them aside essentially yeah like i remember from when i was younger that if i was going into an environment where I was told, oh yeah, you can only do this, you can only do that, you have to do it this way. I'd be like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that then. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go and do something else. And it's, it's that kind of thing. Like there could be some incredible players that just don't even bother because it's just too stifling to begin yeah. with. But if we kind of flip it on, on the positive, something else has kind of come out this, this week in regards to the women's game specifically is kind of a a national fast food chain of all things 
showing their woke as Genius. showing their woke as fuck. This is uh, Burger King sponsoring um, Stevenage women's team, but changing all their branding to Burger Queen. Um, but it's not just for the show. Like they've changed like their social media stuff for it, and like Burger King were the ones to announce this. It wasn't a Stevenage thing to come forward. They did like all the PR behind it. They made the video and everything. Yeah. And I just think it was a really sort of classy touch to to show like no, we're we're supporting the team as a whole, but we're making a stance like this isn't just a men's football thing this is this is a, a yeah. for everyone sort of thing and i thought it was really good i mean i think one of the big things when i saw that that i took from it was the fact that the deal is identical to the men's deal as well mm. they haven't gone oh but we're only going to give you a little bit we're going to give you less money though because you know you're not as a bigger platform they haven't done any of that they've gone literally like well we give the men this much so we're giving you exactly the same yeah it's and that's how it should be yeah and i think like obviously there um so this stevenish woman's like chairperson uh joe goad i think you pronounce that surname they like, came out with a quote saying um it gives us an opportunity to really show young female players um that they are entitled to play the game the same with the same support and the same level and the same infrastructure as the men and the boys and that is how it should be like yeah. Obviously, there are clubs around the country that, that do do that, but obviously there's still some that see the women's game as a kind of quote-unquote lesser sort of interest point and, and things like that. We are starting to see a shift, but it's still kind of deemed the secondary team in, in some aspects. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing someone saying, they made, I think it was on Twitter, and they took a scoreline. I think it was one. I can't remember the two teams. So it was one of the women's um, league games, and the score was something like eight two. Mm. And they're like, oh, "Why do I want to watch this?" They, it's like whatever. Like they can't even defend. Blah blah blah. And it's like, surely you want to go to games where there is a lot of action. <laughs> there's a yeah. lot of goals. Like no one's turning around to when. Bournemouth beat Birmingham or Leicester beat um, Southampton or Southampton beat Sunderland where it was like 8-0 and things like that. No one's turning around going, oh, that was a terrible <laughs> game. I mean, obviously the Southampton <laughs> fans or the losing fans might go like that, but everyone else was just like, this is incredible. Like, Or when um, Germany beat Brazil and yeah. stuff like that in the World Cup. You want that in the game. So why wouldn't you want to go and watch women's football and see a bunch of goals go in yeah like surely that's part of the joy like yeah some people might go oh yeah but you want to see it a bit more competitive and it's like well yeah that's it's not like every game is going to end eight or nine nil but to have the odd few where they're, they're high scoring yeah great. i'd love to see it yeah no, that's like and i think that's exactly the point is that but as you as you mentioned, especially with this deal, that it is exactly in line with the men, and yeah. I hope like seeing how big a brand Burger King are, I kind of hope other sort of sponsors and endorsements follow suit like later down the line. Like I know with Portsmouth, where they're sponsored by the university, 
think it's a similar thing, but obviously like we're very like as a club, like we're all very community driven anyway. So it's kind of part and parcel with it. And obviously the university doesn't have the same amount of money that Burger King does. So it's on a lot yeah. smaller scale, but yeah, you kind of hope that this is going to be something we see a lot more going forward. I mean, I hope so. I mean, especially in the lower leagues, I would hope that would be the case. I mean, in the the upper upper leagues in the Premier League, I guess you can kind of half see an argument why some brands may not pay exactly the same amount of money because they are looking at it from a business perspective. Yeah. But it's just like, well, okay, then reduce what you pay the men's game and split it a bit more evenly with the women's team because it's all great PR at the end of the day. And that's what a lot of businesses like out of all of this. But um, I do, it is nice to see like since Burger King, not just with the women's team, but since Burger King really rolled out and people picked up on the fact that this was such a genius marketing campaign. But yeah. you, I have started to see a couple more bigger brands sponsor the lower league teams for exactly the same yeah. kind of reason they they're like this is getting us to a global market because it's not just about how many people are watching them on the tv or in the, in the grounds it's stuff like the fifa games yeah like their logo is going to be in millions of households just because a few kids or adults or whoever have picked up FIFA and are going to be playing with those teams. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it is great to see. And yeah, hopefully you will, we will start to see it a lot more. And if it, if it can change from basically the ground up, and when I say the ground, I do mean to say the lower leagues, but I do mean from that, if we can start to see those clubs being able to do this, it, I would hope, it would start putting pressure on bigger clubs where people will go, if they can do it, you can yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so who knows? But uh, it's it's all positive. And I think for the last two, three years, especially, the women's game has started to be put on a bit more of an even queue in certain places, like even going on BBC Sport go back five six years you wouldn't really see any of the women's game yeah there. true like you go on the bbc sport page now and look at football the women's games all on the front page yeah. and you can see the results as easily as you can find results for league two the championship the premier league etc yeah so it is really good to see that this shift is happening it's just sad that it's, <laughs> I was gonna say, it's taken a while time. <laughs> <laughs> But it is positive to see. And I I probably do feel that it's America that's really taken the lead on that because of the American women's team being as successful as they have been. It's something that they have been able to shout about and they have been able to turn some of the women's footballers there into global yeah, stars. Yeah, definitely. Um, and because they've been able to do that, it's kind of forced the hand of others to go, okay, we need to start addressing the issues that we've got and yeah it's it's been a, a knock-on effect and a benefit for yeah everyone. well if we stick with money as well one last little thing that i thought was quite funny and fitting in some aspects 
this is the um, an Argentinian state senator has basically put a bill forward to have Diego Maradona's face on um, their money, but not just any money, the highest denomination of money that you can get in in Argentina. So this is the would be Maradona on the thousand peso note in Argentina, and I think like. As nice as a little touch as it is, I think it's quite funny that we're seeing all these kind of like effigies and like tributes to him. Obviously, now that he's passed, like obviously Napoli changing their stadium name. I think in Buenos Aires itself, there's been like various kind of like changes of street names and things like that, which like shows the impact he had. But I just thought this was really funny, like considering like over here in this country we had the whole debate of like who's going to go on like the 50 pound note sort of thing and it's just like no we're going to put maradona on our on our highest denomination of money it's it makes me think like if if that ever happened or if it does happen how many notes are they gonna have to print yeah because think about how many people go on holiday to argentina every year and for for the UK, the thousand pesos is what, what nine pounds, I think. Yeah, something, something like, like yeah. that. I mean, if I was there, I, I'm not going to take that back to the exchange when I get home. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to keep yeah. this. Some <laughs> like Maradona on it. Why wouldn't I? And the amount of holiday makers that might then end up doing the same. You probably see Argentina's bank going. I might have to rethink this one. I'm not sure how many more yeah. we can keep reprinting. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Like you might even end up getting like people like over here kind of thing, just going to the exchange rate and getting like one one thousand peso note just to have yeah. it sort of thing. Yeah, but yeah, uh, but yeah, it, <laughs> I can't think whether it's. I mean, obviously, his regard in Argentina is completely different to how we may perceive and think of him here. Well, especially here. But it's really hard for me to fathom that it's it's even a talking point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like someone has someone high up has legitimately gone. You know what, Maradona should be on our back. Yeah, no. I mean, it's kind of like I think the the equivalent I could think of is if, if we put George Hurst, um, Jeff Hurst, sorry, on ours. Yeah, so that's, yeah. It's. Uh... It's mad, and I can imagine even if that got suggested in this country, they'll be up. Oh, for definitely. Like, Why football? What about this instead? That's just like, mm. but yeah, it, the 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 accolades and the the revere that man has in that country is just next. Here, level. the players of Millwall and Queens Park Rangers meet and hold up a banner united for change. It is good to hear that that is being applauded by the supporters inside the stadium. That is the response that Steve Kavanagh there would have been hoping to hear. Right, so the other things that we always like to do about this show is obviously uh, spine, spine? That's the wrong (laughs) word. Shine a spotlight on either like a non-league team or lesser-known team. So I always ask my guests to, to bring a team to the table. So, Dom, who are you bringing to the table? Pool Town FC. It felt fitting to go local or keep local. Yeah. 
obviously Bournemouth are a bit too big now, which is still weird <laughs> to say. So Pool Town it is. So I was kind of like familiar with Pool because obviously that Bournemouth's not too far down the road from me. But like reading up on their sort of like history a little bit, they've kind of it. It seems to be the way with a lot of non-league teams is they, they kind of like this amalgamation of like uh, like smaller teams yeah. to make what is Pool FC. But yeah, what what's like your kind of relationship to it? Is is it just the fact, the fact that they're a local team? Like, have you gone and seen them? I personally haven't. I know a lot of friends that do, and I've even had the odd friend that's had the odd game with them. Um, okay, but I guess again because I wasn't really brought up in a in a football world, it was never really something to for me to do. And even now, going to watch Bournemouth is a bit of a struggle because I've either got well now I can't because of COVID. But prior to that, it was because <laughs> yeah. did I have a gig on that day? Did I have a gig on the next day? Was I going to be around? Could I actually travel up somewhere, etc.? So it was always quite hard to try and balance the two and then throw in a, a second football team, I think, would have been just a, a bit too much. Yeah. Um, but I think now, with not being able to go to games at Bournemouth, that p- wanting to go and see Paul is definitely something I want to try and do. But with my partner expecting at the beginning of the year, I'm not going to push any unnecessary risks I guess is the best yeah. way of doing it no that's fair enough so uh, I, I still had to keep it on the back burner but yeah it's just one of those the, those teams that I guess because they are local is the main reason I did bring them forward uh, there are a couple of others but I think with Paul they've got that little bit more history to them because they've had quite a yeah quite a close relationship with Bournemouth across the years with the fact that we send players there on loan and stuff like that. So yeah, it's kind of connected to Bournemouth in that respect. I was going to say that like from looking through, they, they kind of have a similar relationship, like what Portsmouth do with having a Waterlooville and Gospel Borough to some aspects, like you'll see like either like young players go there on loan or, Play, like players that have been released from the club that maybe haven't quite made it at any other league level, they'll go to one of these like local sort of like non-league teams. And like I think just even looking at the current squad, I think they've got like two or three yeah. like Bournemouth loanies there at the moment, which I thought was quite interesting. One name that really stood out to me, though, have you looked at the, the squad list at all? I have recently. I looked at it the other day, and I've got to be honest, I was surprised that we had a couple of internationals in there. Yeah, there's a Brazilian guy, yeah. which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, no, I did I did uh, look up at that, and I did then have a quick look at uh, who he was and where he's come from and stuff like that. And But, yeah, no, it's uh, it's mad to see, but, yeah great to see at the same time because you, you do you expect when you look at these lower leagues you do expect every single flag there to be within the UK you don't yeah you might see the odd smattering of uh, maybe the French flag or Spanish but then to go oh no you got a Brazilian in there oh <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. nice 
I mean, just other, yeah, I've... having him on the team sheet makes you sort of go, oh, that's going to be good. Thiago Caso de Silva. That's the thing, though. It, like, so from my perspective, like going to like, so I, I used to go to quite a lot of non-league football because it was part of my old job. And it was like when it when you saw a like this is going to sound really bad, but when you saw a team that had a player with like a foreign sounding name, you were like, "Oh, this could be a bit interesting," because <laughs> it wasn't like John Smith yeah. and Bill Brown and stuff like that. Like, so you automatically had that kind of like, "Oh, they might have a bit of class to them." And yeah. ninety nine times, like they were like. The standout player as well, which I thought was quite interesting. It is that kind of thing, though. I mean, you can even relate it to music. Like, you would see a band name that you've never heard of, and then in brackets next to it, it'll go US or something mm. like that. And you go, oh, they're going to be good because they're from America. And it, it's, <laughs> yeah. that, it's that kind of thing. And I think it is something that we've, we've grown up with to an extent where you do know certain countries are renowned and known for producing great footballers that if you see their nationality on a team sheet you're like one to watch there they're from germany or they're from brazil (laughs) and yeah it's but it's mad i mean they've even got some they've got one at at the moment from liberia as well and yeah that's one of the born with low knees but it it, yeah it is great to see but it is also mental at the same time (laughs) yeah but the the other thing that I thought I found quite interesting was that um, so like my relationship with Paul itself is quite sort of limited. Like I've been, like I've had like friends that live there and stuff, yeah. but I've never kind of really spent too much time in the town itself. But it was I remember for some reason growing up always hearing about Paul Pirates on the like on the news and stuff. And I didn't realise, obviously, until, like, doing the research, like, that was the old Paul Town Stadium, but they yeah. kind of, like, got shoved out because Speed they wanted to... Yeah, which is bizarre. <laughs> like, it's such a strange thing, like... I mean... Yeah, I don't know. To be fair, like, when I was younger, I remember with the local paper, the back page was literally always Speedway. It was always about really? Paul Pirates. Like, Bournemouth didn't really get much of a look in. Pole Town definitely didn't get any look in. It was, Speedway was the thing. Um, and I've been to a couple yeah. of Speedways and I still don't understand it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a, it, it's always been a thing here. And I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. But then, like, when they kind of had this sort of, like, nomadic nomadic stage of their sort of life as a club, this, like, I love a good little stat, and this one was one that stood out. They had 39 consecutive games without a win. Yeah. Like, just getting one point in 42 league games. Like, fucking, like, if you're a Paul Town fan, that must have been, like... And this is recent as well. This yeah. is in 95, 96 season. And the I fact is they, they held that record for a while. It's only been in the last, I think, five or so years that another team has actually had a worse worse season. Yeah. But that like so that when they kind of took that record, it was held since nineteen seventy seven. So it's just like, but yeah, like 
it must have been heartbreaking to go to some of those games if you're a Paul Town fan. You could imagine it could be in a case because Paul Town recently have been one of the highest attended Southern League clubs. So yeah. if if that kind of stat was the same at the start of that season, you can imagine it going from what do they hold like they hold like two and a half thousand at the moment. So you can imagine like two thousand people there at the first game. And then by the tenth game it's like oh, 1,500. by the eleventh game, ah, oh, thousand. By the twentieth game, it's like, yeah, there's a hundred people still. And then by the end of the season, this is like, this is like one five people going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then imagine, depending on when that point was scored, imagine the party. <laughs> oh, that's the thing. Like you can imagine when they finally got that win, it must have been absolute elation. Yeah. But yeah. it is. It's it is bad to think about that sort of stuff. Any yeah. club going a whole season and getting one point. Yeah, and another sort of again, like like ominous. Well, not ominous. That's the wrong word. Like players of note, I guess. Like Charlie Austin yep. was was there for for a prolonged period of time, and obviously he's gone on to to bigger and brighter things. But Until again, now. a good little. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> but like another good little stat in his first year: forty six goals, forty six games. Yep. Like that's, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, you could argue that Paul Town Maiden. I mean, I mean, I don't think that's even an argument. Yeah. Because from that he went to Swindon, and then from Swindon on to eventually Southampton and the Premier League, and now West Brom. But <laughs> <laughs> we went. But then that's the thing. Like, who's the other one? Uh, this is going back to the Bournemouth Paul Link, Ted McDougall. This is going back a while. Hmm. But Ted McDougall is a Bournemouth legend to the extent that one of the stands is also named after him. Uh, and he was renowned for scoring, I think, something like nine goals in one game. Yeah. Uh, and he he was another one that played at Pool Town for a bit. And it's just like, it's, it's mad that a club that has been around for so long and has had some of these players like nip in and out of them that not much more has happened to them and that even to this the the extent that they were able or someone was able to go you know what motorbikes going around a dirt track in a circle is more important to us than your football club <laughs> it's like surely uh, not but you, you you would kind of hope that teams that have got this much history would be slightly higher but i guess there's always got to be teams that are a bit lower down in the pecking order still. Yeah, but they're they're still fighting. They're still there, yeah. and I mean that's all that you can hope for with any club, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, I, and to be fair, from from a lot, of, well, not from a lot for for a bit of it, the only reason that they probably aren't higher is just finances. Yeah, because there's been points where they have been promoted, but they've not been allowed to be promoted because they don't. Because they haven't got the infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. So who knows? Now that they are in a bit more of a stable environment, and I think they have been able to tick off more of the criteria. Who knows what could happen over the the coming years? We could end up having a uh, another fight where a team goes, no, the south co- south coast is ours. Uh, Paul, mm. It's not quite going to be Paul Town just yet, though. I don't know.
had to clear. He was under pressure. Lurking at the back post was Luke Burbridge for town. Corner kick comes in. Played short. Flicked in. It might be buried at the back post. And it is. It's finished from very close range there. Will Spetch, I think it was, who got the final touch. And Poole are right back so, in. So, as always, we'd like to round off the show by literally bringing this the name of the show to life. We bring punks onto the pitch with a musician starting 11. Um, so, Dom, have you got a formation for me? I do. It is... I'm trying to think of the best way to have it. It's probably a 5-3-2. But okay. really, it's a 3-2-3-2. Three, two, three, two. <laughs> nice. I'm not quite sure where right. to put the wing backs in. Like, well, shall I bunch them in with the midfields or the defenders, or shall I just have them in front? So, okay, that's cool. Well, I'll take it as a as a three two, three two. I mean, that <laughs> sounds funny. A three two three two. Um, we always start in goal. So, who have you got between the sticks? I've gone for Tom Williams from Straight from the Path, and there is okay. a reason for this. Yeah, now, go for the, it. The reason I've gone for Tom, Tom is like one of the biggest sports fans in general that I have met. Like, he just loves sports. Um, okay. But he plays ice hockey with friends and stuff. Like, kind of like how we all have Sunday League in the UK. I think he's got yeah. the same sort of setup, but with ice hockey. And he plays in goal for his ice hockey team. Ah, uh, so, so if he can, a little bit of cheating. Yeah, if he can throw himself <laughs> around on ice, stopping a puck. I'm pretty sure he can do it with a ball. So that that's yeah. my that's my theory behind Tom. I mean, yeah, I mean he's got he's got the experience. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the thing with this team. I've kind of gone. I I've tried to have a reason behind people, and some of them are a bit more sports related than others. No, that's cool. I like it. I like it. Uh, we had last week. Uh, George bought. So his he had a running theme for his team, and it was all doom vocalists. So, I, I like a team with a theme. It's it's got a good vibe to it, right? Who's your back three then? Okay, so left back, I've gone with Clown from Slipknot. Right. Okay. I mean, he's intimidating, and if anyone's going to try and get past him, he'll probably then bring out a baseball bat. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's my that's my theory with Clown. Uh, and then right back, I've gone with Odorus uh, Urungus from Guar. Yeah. Again, no one's going to mess with an alien. No. <laughs> They're just not. And then to keep no. it all together, there is a sports reason behind this one. I've gone with Andy Williams from Every Time I Die. I mean, right, before you before you go into it, I'm gonna I'm interested to hear your sporting reason. But this is, I think, the fourth time he's appeared in the team now. <laughs> and I'm determined. He's, I've, I've had a conversation with him via Twitter. And he said he has no idea about football or anything. But I'm determined to get him on this show just to be like, <laughs> everyone thinks you're hard as fuck. But, but that's it. He is a man mountain. Yeah. And he is a professional wrestler. So yes, why yeah. wouldn't you want to have a professional wrestler maintaining your back three going... You, you, he, he will run the ship. He, no one will mess with him, and then he'll just yeah. clothesline people. It's, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, I, I don't know Andy or anything like that, but I went to, and every time I'd show years ago in Reading, 
and one of my friends I was with, Damien, he's like six foot seven. He's he's a tall, tall, tall man. And at the end of yeah. the show, we met um, Andy and we got Andy to pick my mate Damien up and hold him like a baby. And it's just like... Fuck it out. It's one of the funniest photos that I have, but at the same time, it's just like, yeah, no one, no one's gonna mess with this man because he can yeah. literally do anything. So. I remember. So I haven't really ever. I don't think I've told everybody this story before. But um, so when they did the tour, oh shit, when was it? Maybe like three years. Ago, the tour they did with Not Not Loose a couple of years ago. Yeah, I can't remember how long ago it was. Um, I was fortunate enough to interview Not Loose ahead of the show. Um. And I was like backstage talking to Brian and Isaac from from the band in this kind of like essentially like little like shower room. And like it was weird enough, firstly, that Jordan Buckley just walked out in a towel. That was weird enough. But then when I finished the interview, like I was saying goodbye to the Knock Loose guys and I turned and I literally nearly walked into Andy Williams. And like he gave me a look of like, who the fuck are you? And I was like oh, I'm sorry. And he just gave me like this big grin. And I was like, oh, okay, no, it's fine. <laughs> and he's not going to kill me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll probably let it slide that he is actually a lovely person. and We won't tell opposing teams this. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I, when was it? I think he did a podcast with um, Craig Reynolds, the downbeat and straight from the park. Yeah. And there was it's just mental like he would have to do shows and wrestling on the same day and he was like yeah I had to do it in the same city and I just ran after wrestling I ran from the wrestling arena down to the venue walked on stage and then played it's like uh, I I struggle running down the street let alone <laughs> just being wrestling running and then jumping on stage to be so one of the most show. energetic bands that there is yeah so yeah if he if he can do that he can definitely run around a pitch for that even yeah, fair. Right, who's who's your wing backs? Uh, so left wing back, I've gone with Jason Butler from Fever Three Three Three. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to go straight into both, and then right, I've gone with um, Cedric Bixler Zavala from At the Driving, and it, key is it's At the Driving era, early At the Driving era. Okay, <laughs> and that is just because again, they are two of the most energetic people I have ever seen. He yeah. literally throws, well, Jason especially throws himself around on the stage with no regard to his own well-being. I'm sure he knows exactly what he's doing, so he has taken all the precautions. But again, wingbacks up and down the pitch all the time. they got to throw themselves around and get themselves stuck in, so it makes sense in my head. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. I don't think, like, yeah, nail on the head, just, like, have that energy, yeah. like... As you say, Jason, particularly of the few times I've seen them, like he's non-stop running around that stage. Yeah. And like same same with Fixler, like when at, at the driving days, like Cedric was like all over the shop, like climbing off stuff and, and things like that. So I mean if yeah, he, definitely will be if he keeps his at the driving hair as well, he could be like uh my team's Fellaini. <laughs> yeah. Cool, right. Who have you got in the middle who's your middle three? So at left, I've gone with uh, Adam Lazaro. And my hope with yeah. Mr. Lazaro is with Taking Back Sunday, he has some of the smoothest mic swinging handling skills. 
So I'm yeah. hoping that that then flows down to his legs and he's also quite good with his feet. I mean, to do what he can do with a microphone up in the air and catching it in and do a few dance moves, you would hope <laughs> you'd hope he could be have some fancy footwork going on as well. Yeah. And, no, and every team's got to have like their David Ginola sort of uh, I was gonna say like a lot of every like a lot of people have bought a poster boy to the team as yeah. well. So he's your poster boy. Yeah. Um, center. <laughs> this is it's not from a famous band, but I have to bring him in, uh, and it's my mate Smith. And so Dan Smith from Caligram. A, it's so Caligram. Oh, yeah, yeah. Get a little shout out because they are an incredible band. But he is also <laughs> the most outspoken, overly confident person that I know and he is great because of it. <laughs> and I think every team needs that one person that going, no one's gonna beat us because we're the best white why should they can't beat us. And he is <laughs> my man for that. Plus he's kind of like my George Best in the sense that he just loves drinking. So <laughs> <laughs> overly cool. confident and a big drinker. So yeah. Makes perfect nice. sense. And then on the right uh, we have Mr. Josh Franceschi from Unit Six, again. Okay. Massive football fan. Um, and one of my early day gigs was Unit Six at a venue in Bournemouth called the Opera House. And it's a story that I have told a few times to people, and I think it came up again when um, the band recently played the O2 Academy, which the o Opera House became. Uh, when they mm. first played there, we actually played football in the main room. Oh, nice. And it was with an overly big ball, but it was still a lot of fun. And it, I just, that memory just sticks with me. And it was always a case of, you will play this room one day. And they obviously yeah. have headlined it a few times now. But also, he is a bit of a whiz on FIFA. So again, you yeah. hope he can put down a controller and do it on the pitch and translate it on <laughs> yeah. the pitch yeah no that's fair cool all right so who who've you got up front who's banging in the goals so i've gone with the multi-talented people in my opinion for this one uh and they are both drummers so again use of both feet is very important yeah so the first one i've gone with is travis barker nice i mean work work ethic of a maniac so if he can put the same sort of work ethic into a football game, left and right feet, bang him in, lovely stuff. Yeah. And the other one is every team needs a, a Mr. Nice as well. And so I've gone with Dave Grohl. I mean, oh, okay. again, an incredible work ethic. And he is a multi-instrumentalist. He can use probably every part of his body to play an instrument somewhere along the line. So... <laughs> Uh, you would hope he'd be able to control a ball with his feet as well. <laughs> and also, I think, like, you've also kind of got a bit of flair with them too as well. Like, yeah. they're both kind of, like, iconic in, in different aspects for, like, appearance and things. And, like, their, like, drumming styles yeah. as well. So you've got a bit of, bit of flair up front as well. I mean, Travis could be like my Zatlan. Like, yeah, oh, he, he, yeah, he's definitely. tattooed and stuff now, you know? I mean, granted, the only similarity is the fact they have loads of tattoos, but, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I could, I can imagine Travis being a bit like starting talking to him, talking about himself in the third person. So. 
Yeah, Travis is that one, and then Dave could be Perlo. I think Perlo. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I can I think see that. that. Perfect. Dom, thank you very much for, for your time, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Um, so hopefully we'll be seeing a lot more gigs announced yeah. by yourself in the near future and attending them as well. So yeah, fingers crossed. And it'll be good to see you actually at a show again as well, instead of <laughs> just yeah. over a computer screen or a, a message on the old social media. So no, I am, I yeah, am looking forward to it. Definitely. Thank you very much for your time, mate. No worries. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye.